1: Hello everyone, this is Ryan Tripp. I'm here in New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. We're here today with Dr. Han Vermulen. He's an alumnus of Leiden University in the Netherlands and a research associate at the Max Planck Institute for Social Anthropology in Halle, Germany. In 2015, Dr. Vermulen published Before Boas, The Genesis of Ethnography and Ethnology in the German Enlightenment. Last year, this study was published in paperback. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Vermulen. What prompted you to study the relationship between ethnography and ethnology in the German Enlightenment? And why does your study complement conceptual history with the historicist emic paradigmatic approach in a comparative framework? Also, why does your cover feature Petra Chaplin's 1729 map from the first Kamchatka expedition?
0: Well, the research that led to my book, in Leiden, the Netherlands, where I was studying cultural anthropology or ethnology, as the subject was called at the time, uh, previously. It was renamed in 1953, and I studied in the 1970s. I was doing research on the history of uh, this field, and in 1982, I found data that suggested that ethnology had emerged earlier in the Netherlands than in France, Germany, and England, which was puzzling. I found a manuscript of a lecture by the director of the Royal Dutch Chamber of Curiosities, Van der Castelen, which was titled et- 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 On Ethnology and held in 1830. This was earlier than some of the data from Germany, uh, but also France and England, where ethnological societies had been uh, established in 1830, uh, 1839, and 1843. I had these uh, data uh, about England and France from uh, uh, American-British sources, such as uh, George Stocking particularly, and it was very unlikely that the Dutch would have preceded uh, Mm -hmm. introducing this this subject because the Netherlands is a small country with an interesting political system, uh, one of the first republics in 16th century Europe, a great navy and a long colonial history, in the East and the West Indies, but not a country where one would expect ethnography and ethnology to begin. More like traders and businessmen, seafarers, than explorers or or anthropologists. So I dived into this uh, uh, puzzle, checked all available sources in the library at Leiden, where I was studying, and I found a promising lead in a German encyclopedia that the term ethnology, in fact the German word for it Volkerkunde, Volkerkunde which means ethnology in German, had been introduced at the University of Göttingen in the 1770s, that is 60 years earlier than my Dutch source. And this encyclopedia entry led me to an article by Hans Fischer, a professor in Hamburg, whose sources I checked and checked, and I found an even earlier source than Fischer a couple of years earlier, Uh, uh, And that gave me a story that was uh, uh, completely unknown to anybody in the West. Ethnology, which is a prominent science in the European and American history, uh, had been invented by German historians during the Enlightenment. And nobody knew about it, except for Fischer and a few other Germans, like Justin Stagel. And this confirmed the importance of uh, Göttingen as a center for anthropology, which was known in the work of the American historian of medicine, Erwin Ackerknecht, who had claimed in 1955 that uh, uh, Göttingen was a center of anthropology. However, he did not mention ethnology, And Ackerknecht was uh, obviously unaware that the Göttingen historian Gatterer. The, the Göttingen historians Gatterer, Schlözer, and Heere not only discussed ethnographic details in their work, but also outlined a study called Volkerkunde or Ethnography. Then, of course, later I found references that their work of Gatterer, Schlözer had been preceded by fieldwork-based research by explorers working in the Russian Empire. But that was in 1969, when I attended the conference in Halle, East Germany, after the fall of the war. So this is how the study that led to my book began in the University Library of Leiden. And I was very much impressed by the magnitude of sources that they have. Uh, it took me years to digest it all and see some kind of pattern, namely that there hadn't been a study called anthropology, but that ethnology had developed next to it, parallel, so to say, and that all traces led to German historians working in Göttingen and previously in the Russian Empire. Now, the picture that on the cover of my book that you're talking about shows the itinerary of the first Kamchatka expedition, which was uh, conducted in 1725 to 1730, the first Bering expedition. And it's illustrated with what one would call ethnic types, drawings of representatives of ethnic groups in traditional attire, with significant animals and objects such as snowshoes, a sledge, bow and arrows, etc. And although that exhibition had no academics, in contradistinction to the second Kamchatka expedition, it clearly had an interest in these ethnological topics. And uh, 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 this is what, uh, what what set me off, the, the fascination on, 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 I found it symbolic for, for the interest at the time in uh, the ethnological studies of peoples around the world, and not only in Germany or, or, or not in Europe, but uh, uh, in the world at large. And when you say I needed the method I, I, I partly borrowed this this from George Stocking, who was of course a master in historicist and contextualizing history of anthropology. and I adopted his method in order to make a distinction between my approach and his approach and the presentist attempt in, to write history, explaining events from present day interest, which are usually anachronistic of course. I coupled this historicist method of stocking with the emic perspective of Kenneth Pike. Emic is an account of human behavior in terms meaningful to the actor rather than the observer. And the definition of paradigm suggested by Lakatos. A paradigm is a research program, hence historicist emic paradigmatic approach. And this is is what I applied and found the most useful. To give one example, this ethnography ethnology it deals with the coining of the concept Völkerbeschreibung 1740 Ethnographia 1767 Völkerkunde 1771 Volkskunde 1776 and Ethnologia 1781 which implied a paradigmatic shift from the studies from the study of manners and customs that was part of an older research tradition towards the studies of peoples and nations uh, as indicated by these terms. And this is based on an emic statement by participants, which need, of course, to be contextualized. These peoples and nations were lo- no longer seen as characterized principally by their manners and customs, but by their languages, even if manners and customs remain a key aspect of culture, as defined by Edward Tyler in 1871, a century later. In addition, My motivation to pursue this research came from the conflation between nations and races, a serious issue that is also discussed in my book, both in the introduction and the concluding chapter and so on.
1: Now, what was the importance of anthropology before the 18th century, thus before the emergence of ethnography and ethnology?
0: Well, anthropology, as such, was a Renaissance study, it was invented by the humanist in the 16th and 17th century, before it surfaced in the 18th century. The concept itself, anthropologia, surfaced in the in 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 humanist in the work of humanists at Leipzig in 51, Rome 1506, Paris 1516 and 1557, London in 1593, in Hano in Germany 1596. These are six occurrences only in the 16th century, and it's always used in a, uh, as a term to, to, to denote a discourse on man dealing with the human body and soul. It occurs in the work of, his, of um, uh, physicians, theologians, philosophers, uh, but not in the work of historians, and uh, uh, this, the, the, these, these six references to 16th century anthropology, which generally define it as a, a discourse on human nature, natura humana, uh, uh, this, is, this, is, this is interesting that it's totally different from what I see happening in the 18th century. Of course, the term anthropology was then frequently applied, in, especially in the 18th century, mainly in the field of medicine, but also in that of natural history and theology. It was often equated with an an, anatomy that is restricted to anatomy, and then we're dealing with human body. But originally, for instance, in the first uh, reference, 1501, you have a, a, a clear object that deals with the human body and the soul. Of course, it's important to realize that today, uh, the view we have of anthropology is, is, is totally different because anthropology is an overarching uh, concept, which is due to the reshuffling of the anthropological landscape in France, Britain, and the USA in the 1860s and 70s. If you, if you like, we can talk about that later but it is in this period that a, 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 a rearrangement of the relation between anthropology and ethnology took place uh, and uh, in which anthropology was seen as the general science and ethnology was was uh, subordinated for being part of anthropology and this is how the uh, uh, celebrated four field approach to anthropology came about which however did not exist before the 1860s and 1870s when it was Uh, 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 formed. And uh, I I find it interesting that in the four-field method, which is uh, 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 physical anthropology, uh, ethnology, uh, and and, and prehistoric archeology span and linguistics, ethnography is not mentioned separately, although it is surely at the basis of ethnology and, and of sociocultural anthropology, as we say today. But in Europe, these two fields were separate, physical and uh, anthropology and and ethnology, they remained separate usually, although there were attempts to link them. And this is a pattern that continued until uh, uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, that in Europe, both in Eastern and in uh, 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 Western Europe, these fields were separate: physical anthropology uh, being done by physicians and 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 and, 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 and natural historians; ethnology being done by cultural historians, uh, uh, linking it to uh, at, at, uh, to linguistics, archaeology, and cultural history. This was a pattern that that that, that in, in Europe you have like a two field. Approach more or less, uh, in which basically uh, scholars specialize in either one of those, never in four.
1: Now, who was polymath Gottfried Leibniz, and what was the significance of his meeting as well as his his correspondence with Tsar Peter the Great and associates during and after the Grand Embassy? In your response, if you can, please try to address at least three just three of the following his so called four tasks. His correspondence with Ludolf, his rules and principles of sufficient reason and continuity, his primos, his animaic uh, language, uh, divine significations in a harmony of language, what uh, Leibniz meant by the origin of the American and then world nations, as well as his 1711 to 1712 idea for historical linguistics.
0: Thank you. Yes, Leibniz is the, second, is, is the topic of my sep- second chapter, and I begin with him because Leibniz developed a, a, a field he called historical linguistics, or in his terms, historia etymologica, which was at the basis, I think, of uh, uh, ethnography and ethnology, in fact, made it possible. To, uh, to develop these, these fields, because Leibniz was extremely interested in uh, the historical comparison of languages in order to, uh, to establish their relationship. The relations between nations could be established by investigating their languages. And uh, in order to pursue, pursue this aim, uh, Leibniz entered in an enormous co- correspondence with uh, scholars uh, throughout Europe uh, 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 up until uh, 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 Russia, in order to get the data and get language specimens, so that he could could, could uh, continue this work. And in, in my in my book, I, I see this as as the founding stone for ethnology and ethnography, because it provides a a, 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 a non a, a value free base basement for comparing peoples. Uh, and, and this was the main interest of, of Leibniz. How were these people related? And he connected this, of course, with the origin. This is interesting. The origin of, uh, of humanity is not as the Bible taught us with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, because This was speculative. Uh, Scholars uh, in the the early Enlightenment, such as Leibniz and and, and his followers later, Müller, Schloetzer, they they didn't want to enter into the debate about that because they knew it was very sensitive. So they started from Noah and the Ark of Noah after after the flood. And this is why they took up the story. And then, of course, they had to uh, link, uh, uh, not only these people, uh, these these historians were doing, but but everybody took their lineage up, their dynasty up from one of the three sons of Noah. And this was the problem for the historians. How do we we connect living peoples today with these uh, uh, three sons of Noah? And uh, that was w- uh, why Leibniz entered into this problem, and it uh, 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 and it was interesting that he uh, developed a uh, uh, proto-language. He 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 invented the proto-Adamic lang- language. That, that that and this is this is one of the cornerstones of, of comparative linguistics even today. He had this concept that uh, that there, there needs to be something before Adam. Before, because he uh, refuted the thesis that he, Hebrew was the first language, the first original language. There should have been something before that because of the relationship between the Semitic languages, Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, and so on. There should have been a predecessor. And he built up his work like that and then started to collect uh, uh, these uh, language specimens in Sweden, uh, in, in Italy, everywhere, in Spain, the Basque language and so on uh and 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 he also entered into a relationship with the chinese the missionaries jewish the jesuit missionaries in china and with the court of peter the great in st petersburg and moscow uh in order to get language specimens from what he called tartary this is the, the area uh, now called siberia and uh, it, it, it had all the uh, all the interest you in need In this context, I can point to a new book that was written by uh, Michael Carhart, uh, which is sort of a prequel prequel to my uh, chapter two. It's called Leibniz discovers Asia, social networking in the Republic of Letters. And it's wonderful because Carhart takes it up from uh, 1692 on how uh, Leibniz uh, uh, contacts the Tsar and his associates and, 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 and all kinds of people working in, in Russia in order to get these language specimens. Of course, in my own book, I mentioned that Leibniz met Peter de Grey at least six times on four different occasions in the year 1711 till 1716, the year that he died. And he was even hired as a counselor uh, uh, for Russia uh, and he was pretty successful in, 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 in his scholarly attempts, not only with the, uh, with the comparative linguistics, but also in the geographical exploration of the Russian Empire and the question whether, whether Asia and America were connected by a land bridge or, or whether there was an open sea uh, lane. And also with the founding of the Academy of Sciences in Saint Petersburg. Given his three steps
1: the botany mammoth data, and observations of Siberian ritual and material cultures, as well as dialects. Why do you consider the next German scholar, Daniel Messerschmidt, as the first, at least after the 1718 uh, Ariskan contract, the first Forschund Schreinder, despite research repossession by a post-Petrine uh, Kunstkammerer? And what were his influences?
0: Yes. Well Messerschmitt Messerschmidt it's not my term to call him the first Forschungsreisen. This is uh, he's called like that the first explorer of Siberia by East German historians of science who uh, edited his work or the journal of his, his uh, trip in, in the in the in the nineteen fifties and sixties, entering into a l dialogue with their uh, uh, Russian colleagues under 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 socialism and so on. And they had this project of editing uh, uh, Messerschmitt's work because they were extremely impressed by the way he had carried out uh, uh, his research expedition. And they used the word Forschungsreisender, which literally translates as a research traveler, somebody taking part in a research expedition. And Messerschmitt led his own expedition in Siberia up to Mongolia and China, accompanied by a few students and assistants, a cook, a hunter, and so on. And during the first year of this expedition, which lasted from 1719 to 1727, eight years on the on the, on the on the way, he was accom- accompanied by a Swedish prisoner of war he had picked up in Tobolsk, the center of Siberia. Uh, and his name was Tabart, who later adopted the name von Strahlenberg. So Tabert von Strahlenberg who also published a book in 1830. And uh, at that time, of course, uh, Siberia had been conquered by the Cossacks a full century earlier, beginning in, in 1581. So in the 1719, this research was post-conquest. situation was secure to travel, although uh, uh, pretty hard, by sledge or horse on the, on, the, on the rivers and so on. And uh, Messerschmitt managed to, to conclude this, uh, uh, this expedition successfully. Uh, and he had collected uh, 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 so much material that it took uh, uh, scholars, including uh, Muller, the historian, two weeks to arrange them and, in, and make an inventory. Because Messerschmitt had been sent out with an instruction to collect in six or seven fields. He was, of course, trained uh, as a a physician, taking a PhD in Holland in 1713. And he was instructed to study the geography of the country, the natural history, its medicine, including including medicinal plants and uh, diseases. Uh, Furthermore, the people and their languages, their monuments and antiquities, and everything remarkable. This was his charge. And then halfway through his journey in, in 1724, he organized his notes during a winter break, divided them into seven categories, geography, philology, monuments, and antiquities, mineralogy, botany, zoology, and medicine. Now, as ethnography is not included in this list, I conclude that this research, research was fundamental but preparatory for the genesis of ethnography. He didn't have that as a category itself. Needless to say that uh, the uh, GDR historians, they hailed they the systematic way in which Messerschmitt had collected and arranged his collections. And he indeed had three steps in his work schedule. First to observe in the field along the way, then to record the data that could only be done in a tent, as he says. And uh, uh, a third step to, to analyze, to to analyze and report, and catalogue everything that could be done in a in in a, in a large room and is during a winter break. These these three steps, uh, and and I would say uh, uh, Metzschmick's work was proto ethnographic. What he collected has not been separately published, although although some of the objects uh, he collected he collected many objects. Attires and, uh, and, and uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, mammoth bones, mammoth bones, and so on. It may have perished in the fire of the Kunstkamera, which was the Acad- Academy's museum in 1747. Of course, the Kunstkamera was established in 1717, 17- but 30 years later it it went up in flames. Was rebuilt and it's still standing there. It's now the ethnographic museum. And at the time, it contained all of the collections uh, uh, acquired during the research expeditions the Russians sent out in all kinds of directions. So, Master Schmidt's expedition was only one of them, but it was uh, the most, uh, the most scientific, scholarly, systematic. That uh, that that uh, that was uh, uh, really remarkable. And, and 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 when when the historian Gerhard Friedrich Müller. Uh, uh, who I, th- I think is one of the founding fathers of ethnography uh, was invited to arrange uh, uh, to join a committee to arrange uh, his uh, Messerschmidt's collections. He, he he recalled that it exceeded all expectations. To what extent the Kunstkammer had been expanded by indigenous natural specimens and artistic rarities collected by Messerschmitt so this was a, a major step in the exploration of the Russian Empire up until the borders with Mongolia and china and uh you know mainly about plants and medicine or, uh, zoology and so on mineralogy but also uh, archaeology and language specimens this is interesting the memit said about collecting this the the language specimens that leibniz needed Good. of course uh, had long been, been, been long been gone but to carry on this this project, can you give us a little background on
1: Gerhard uh, uh, Mulu, and in the context of the transition from ethnic history to Volka uh, Busreibung descriptive comparisons, what were his largely unpublished 1737 to 40 ethnographic instructions to the second Kamchatka expedition? Also, in the context of German scholars, is from the russian academy of sciences criticism of russian conquests what were examples of natural objects material culture and artistic renderings of siberia and the Kunstkamera and that ice palace wedding
0: ah yes yes the ice palace wedding well i don't know too much about that uh, but there is a drawing and and, and there's, there's this is a couple of references it's, 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 it's well known in russian history that uh, that the, some of the, uh, of the of the of the of uh, the the textiles collected uh, from all parts of the Russian Empire were uh, were uh, uh, were used as dresses for the, for the so-called ice palace wedding, which was a a, a a mock wedding on the ice in front of the palace. Uh, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, in, in St Petersburg I think it was at 1725 or, or or something like that or a bit later the 27 and it was uh, much fun because these 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 textiles from all kinds of peoples of the Russian Empire wo- were worn by the uh, by the nobility uh, assembled during uh, during this 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 festival festival and of course uh it was uh, it was know uh, at, at an order an cars of of, of, of of tsarina. i think it was anna uh who would say well, we're, we're gonna do a, a mock party and and, and have fun uh, unfortunately some of these costumes they returned broken and ter- torn to the Kunstkammer and the uh, and the curators, uh, deplore what, what's happening. I'm not sure if these 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 uh, collections still exist because of the 1747 fire. I, I'm sure they don't. Like I said, the building was more or less spared, but the collections went up in smoke. So that's why later expeditions from the 17th, 1760s started collecting new and also. Uh, 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 many collections uh, acquired during the second Kamchatka expedition in which Müller took part. This was uh, uh, executed in uh, 1733, till 1743, were were lost also during this fire, which hampers research, of course. Now about Müller, Müller, Gerhard Friedrich Müller was a German historian from, from, from West Germany, the Rhine area who had studied at Leipzig in East Germany and who joined the Russian Academy in 1725, six weeks before the Academy of Sciences was inaugurated. He arrived as a very young boy. I think he was 20. He just finished his his master, or maybe not even finished his master in history. And, and, he, and he, he was hired as an adjunct in the Academy of Sciences, teaching at the gymnasium, Latin and Greek and so on slowly re- learning uh, Russian. And after, then after a couple of years, he uh, uh, applied to take part in this expedition. This was the second Bering expedition. Uh, uh, and he was hired as a historian and as a, geography, a geographer. But during the expedition, he turned into an ethnographer because before uh, taking off from St. Petersburg in 1733, Müller had written an instruction as uh, all the uh, academics in this, uh, there was a small group of academics and they were uh, uh, required to write uh, instructions of what they were going to do. And Muller was working together with an astronomer, Dalil, and with a natural historian, Gemelin. And between Gemelin and him, he had divided the field. So if, if, if the astronomer does the calculations and geography, physical geography, astronomy, Then uh, 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 Gmelin and Müller were going to do the natural history of Siberia, and Müller was going to do the civil history, the political history, the social history, as we would say now, Historia Civilis. And there was the uh, distinction between them and how they cooperated, and they helped each other along the way. Now, it's interesting that Müller produced... Uh, 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 three sorts of manuscripts on this on this on this expedition, which were largely unpublished at the time. Most of the materials from the academic uh, uh, party of the second Kamchatka expedition remained in manuscript. They were they were kept, locked and hidden in the uh, uh, Academy archives in the Kunstkamera. But he had made a, a three a, a distinction between three fields not only to collect in the field of history and of geography, but also in that what we would now call ethnography. In fact, what uh, uh, Müller called Völkerbeschreibung, a description of peoples, and what uh, a few years later, in, in, in 1767, was called ethnographia, uh, uh, which is the first occurrence of the word. And during this expedition, Müller developed Uh, 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 methods and instructed other members of the expedition, both German and Russian and other nationalities, students, assistants, to describe the peoples in this this way. Miller himself carried out ethnographic research himself, apart from history and geographical research. He visited all regional centers, interviewed specialists such as shamans and chiefs collected historical, archaeological, geographical, ethnological, statistical, and linguistic materials, including word lists of all peoples encountered. So he did encompassing fieldwork as much as possible during this trip, and he instructed other members to do the same. Uh, To give one example, if Muller was going somewhere where Gamelin couldn't go, or or vice versa, that Müller would, 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 would do the natural history collecting as much as he could for Gamelin. And if Gamelin was traveling somewhere where Müller couldn't go because they had separate journeys to the north, to the south, whatever, then uh, Gamelin collected information on the peoples that he encountered. And this was the same with the assistance that uh, they had, w- which primarily uh, uh, Krasininikov a Russian student who was sent to Kamchatka and who lived there for three and a half years to carry out the uh, instructions that Müller and Gemelin had given him, namely to collect uh, 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 comprehensively in the field of natural history and in what Müller called the Beschreibung des Siberische Völker. And there were a couple of these people on, uh, on Kamchatka and the, and the, and the islands uh, surrounding and the, and the continent. This Kamchatka is, called, of course, the peninsula. So uh, Karshaninikov had lots of work, and he reported on that. It was published, one of the few publications that came out was published in 1755. Of course, also the work of Megamelin was published, but Müller's work uh, remained in manuscript until it came out in in the 2000s, 2009, 10, 18, and so on. And there was one other uh, uh, assistant His name is Steller. He also was sent to uh, Kamchatka by Müller and by Gemelin in order to oversee the work of Krasininikov, who was a younger student. Uh, And and, and he uh, produced a work on Kamchatka, which was published in 1773, uh, which includes uh, uh, half of the book is about the natural history of Kamchatka and the uh, vicinity. But the other half deals with the peoples and their manners and customs and languages and, 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 and religion and so on. And this book, uh, both books by Krasinini van Stella are extremely uh, helpful in today's revival of culture of the ital on Kanchatka, the main, main, main population group there, uh, doing their uh, festivals and so on. It's extremely valuable research. But the point that I am making in my book is that these people worked at the instruction of Müller in order to gather the data that he needed for his uh, comparative ethnographic program. Because Müller, like Master Schmidt, had three steps in his work uh, process. First, to, uh, to make a, a, a comprehensive uh, descriptions of all of the peoples of Siberia, of all aspects, of all peoples of Siberia, uh, second, to make a comparison uh, uh, between these, these, these descriptions of these peoples of Siberia. And third, to make a, a comparison between these descriptions and those of peoples of other continents. And that is a, a full program that I call a ethnological program of Müller, and in which this, this concept of Volkerbeschreibung of his is very central. So on the basis of this uh, his methods the method that he de- de- designed along the way of interviewing and how not to interfere with cultures and 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 the people how to enlist their support and 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 how to how to go about collecting everything from textiles and 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 and, and word lists, uh, uh, do ex, ex- as much as possible. This is a complete scholarly program which I'd say is is at the basis of, uh, of, of ethnography even today.
1: Please briefly trace shifts in uh, Muller's ethno-linguistic perspectives. And if at all possible, uh, please try to address at least three of the following. His 1728 Organization of Messerschmitt's Findings, which you've already alluded to, I guess. The influence of uh, Joseph-Francois Lafetao's Reciprocal Illumination, those 1730s to 40s articles, the Nalik field notes, the incomplete uh, Busraibung, and Müller's critique of travel accounts.
0: Thank you. Yeah, well, Müller turned into an ethnographer during the expedition. It's uh, it's interesting that that this is the same way it went with Boas. Boas became an ethnographer during fieldwork. Uh, in the the field, in the field of geography. But, but, but Muller had the same experience, a relatively young person, uh, underway in an enormous uh, uh, terrain, uh, meeting all kinds of people uh, uh, dressed differently, uh, uh, different languages, different religions, at least four religions in, 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 in in Siberia, like, like uh, Protestants, uh, uh, Orthodox uh, Muslims, uh, uh, Buddhists, so uh, and he 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 encountered them all, and then he turned into an ethnographer due to his program to collect this this historia gentium as he called it in 1732 and Völkerbeschreibung in 1740 to describe these peoples as completely as possible. And uh, Muller motivated this uh, in, a, in a preface that, that, that two, Muller made two manuscripts along the way. Uh, uh, one, uh, a description of Siberian peoples in the order in which he had visited them, them had encountered them. This is uh, in chronological order. But uh, he used this manuscript for another manuscript, the comparative manuscript, uh, uh, comparing uh, some manners and customs of, uh, of, 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 of several pr- uh, tribes, of Filker, as he called them, of Siberia, in a, a thematic way. You know, uh, uh, he had a, a category of the shamans in Kanshatka, uh, or among the Tungus, among the Yakut, and so on and so on. And, and 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 these manuscripts remained uh, unpublished until 1710 and 1718 uh, t- 20, 2010 and 2018 but they were probably used by people having access to the uh, uh, acad- academy archives such as later explorers they used just as as, as müller's manuscript was used by Pallas and others uh, uh mess smithidsmith's uh, 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 manuscript were also used these were books that one could use if you got access and you could you, you could build on that so there was tremendous uh, influence between these explorers and uh and they built on the same pro, uh, program uh whereas uh, uh Messerschmitt had done his, his 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 primarily natural historian and linguistic way mueller carried it forward. And uh, uh, adopted Leibniz's method for the uh, the historical comparison of peoples, uh, uh, built it into his program, and he carried that forward. He he collected, and he asked his students and assistants to collect these 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 these, uh, these vocabularies, and and get into the grammar as much as they could, and so on, uh, in order to to make these comparisons possible. Now, uh, if, in in doing this. Uh, Muller had one important example, and this was the work of Lafiteau, who in 1725 had published this work on the American Indians compared to uh, the, uh, the, the peoples of antiquity. And this was a major example for Muller. He wanted to do what, uh, for, for uh, Siberia what Lafiteau had done, and others for the Americas and the American Indians. Native Americans were described, of course, by Spanish Jesuits in Southern America and Central America, and by the the Spanish and the the French historians and Jesuits in uh, Northern America up to Canada. And this is where Lafiteau had worked. And this this work uh, was so important to to Müller that he took it along on, on his way, and this was the main example. So that's why I say the German... Uh, explorers uh, working in Siberia at the time were were trying to uh, to to fill this terra incognita in the way that Lafiteau had, had had made this comparative study, and this was very important. And it's interesting that Müller, uh, in, uh, in, in, in a in in preface to this to this thematic manuscript on the comparison of uh, Siberian peoples, made made a remark uh, that he had a sort of a dream. I quote, an experienced person would compile a most general description of peoples. And that from this comparison, from this general description of peoples, a new science would be founded. And that would would be beneficial to posterity forever. This is from a, a preface published in 2010. In the description uh, prescribing the superior and this is this is this is what characterized the person he was contributing to, to a certain new science in, in the future Wissenschaft, and this is what we call ethnology or sociocultural anthropology today
1: please also elucidate muller's uh, contributions to ethnography i mean especially given his impact on kamatska expedition successor Johann Fischer as well as you've already mentioned the stellar Stepan uh, Krashenikov ethnography in the 1768 to 1774 Russian aca- academic expeditions uh, Johann Georgi and Mikhail Sparansky, but also given the second expedition's lack of a direct impact on Russian colonial administration despite u- utilitarian aims
0: Yes, well, uh, Müller was extremely influential not only during the expedition with his instructions, and people did uh, listen to these instructions because uh, at least six sources uh, 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 can be found, can be traced uh, uh, of 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 uh, six works of of people: Krascheninnikov, Steller, Lindenau, Gemelin, uh, Fischer, and uh, there was another uh, uh, Golanov. They followed his instructions. So during the expedition, he was influentially carried out this, the research program that he, that he set, uh, and uh, but also afterwards, uh, because uh, uh, in 1768, 1747, there were new expeditions being, being undertaken, uh, set, uh, sent out by the Russian Academy of Sciences, and these were led by uh, people... Uh, naturalists or, or uh, there was five groups led by naturalists in all directions of uh, the russian empire uh, including western and eastern siberia but also mongolia the borders with mongolia and the, the caucasus and and southern russia were the volga area and these were led by Pallas, uh, uh, Pjokhin, uh, uh, uh another the nephew the nephew of Gamelin, a uh, uh, Guldenstadt and a a man called Falk, who was a student from Linnaeus. And uh, they carried the same program, although uh, they were principally interested in natural history. And this was a a project by that time uh, 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 greatly uh, supported by Catherine the Great, who had uh, 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 recently uh, 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 adopted the position of Tsarina. And she supported this project, sending out new uh, uh, expeditions uh, to collect for the benefit of the empire, but also to uh, to uh, renew the collections of the Kunstkamera, uh, form new collections in the field of natural history and what we, what we call now uh, cultural history. So archaeology, linguistics, uh, uh, ethnography, and so on. And this was extremely successful because these books were published. I give one example: uh, Pallas' work was published even while he was underway. You know, the first and second volume of his of his uh, travelogue uh, appeared while he was was still traveling in in some corner of, of Siberia. And the, the work of Falk, a student of Linnaeus. Uh, was also uh, published later on. He concentrated on uh, natural history, but I- indeed uh, had a, a thirty description of peoples that he had encountered. Uh, so this this ethnographic program was part of the uh, of the uh, this this uh, so called academic expeditions sent out in 1768. And then one of the people uh, 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 assisting. Uh, uh, Falk in in this in this uh, during these these expeditions was a, a man called Georgi, uh, who published this, uh, Falk's work as well as his own travelogue, travel report, and he also made a, 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 a description of all peoples of the Russian Empire, which in 1778 uh, uh, appeared in a in a Russian, a French, and a German edition. And was even re- uh, reprinted in a second Russian expedition in the late uh, 18th century. was illustrated by uh, cuts uh, uh, of, of all the um, uh, important peoples of Siberia, and this was a general description of all peoples of the Russian Empire, which 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 amounted to a, a veritable uh, ethnography. And Russians today, Russian anthropologists today see this as, as the beginning of their of their science of course i point to the importance of muller because muller was an advisor for this project he helped palace he yeah. helped the individual scholars uh, in forwarding their collections to and from moscow to petersburg and so on he was an intermediary he was central uh, uh, even in this expedition and palace of course had, had consulted with him how to go about and probably uh, read some of his work in the academy of Archives. so uh, this project this program of, of Miller was was carried forward uh, not only during the second Kam- kamchatka expedition but also uh, uh, during these these later academic expeditions it was carried forward uh, and 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 that's that means uh, that it, that it was very successful uh, of course in another way too because because of schlotzer uh, who who st- who had stayed with Müller in, in Saint Petersburg and then returned to uh, to uh, Göttingen to uh, to publish uh, 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 as as much as he could. So we will deal with that a, a bit later. But the the other question that you that you uh, that you mention, yes, uh, all of these expeditions had utilitarian aims to for uh, forward the benefit uh, of the Russian Empire. And to collect stuff that could be useful to the, to the Russian state, in fact, a territorial expansion was, was the least of it, but also the people the peoples that lived there would be taxed and, 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 and the Russian administration needed data. So this is a complicated question about the relationship between anthropology and colonialism, a debate you know uh, uh, in anthropology from the, from this, from the 1960s on. And I take a moderate standpoint here. I said Müller and the other explorers were not working for the uh, for the uh, Russian administration in Siberia. They were working for the Academy of Sciences, and they were scholars reporting to the Academy of Sciences uh, directly and collecting to, to that aim. And uh, secondly, they w- they didn't have any rank in a, in a Russian military or a, a, a colonial administration. Were in fact uh, uh, regarded as 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 a big nuisance because of the shortages of supplies and so on, uh, and and um, what are we, what are going to have to do with them? Secondly, uh, there's no evidence that their reports, for instance, written in German or in Swedish, or you know, were even consulted by these administrators. Whether they did have any impact on the Russian policy, colonial policies in the in the in, the, in the, Siberian uh, provinces and so on. So I asked a specialist, Peter Hoffman, one of the best informed historians of 18th century German-Russian relations, and he denies uh, that there was any impact on administrative practice. He says the results of the second Kamchatka expedition were purely scientific, had no immediate impact, and the the officials of the Siberian department took no interest in the scholarly research saw the expedition as a burden without any practical use so uh, initially and this uh, initially there there was there was no impact uh, whether there was any impact of the later ac- academic expeditions is is also not explored nobody knows about it but there was a later impact when speransky when speransky Uh, reformed the administration of Siberia in the the 1820s and he used Georgi's ethnographic work that I've just mentioned from the 1770s and which in fact in in turn was based on that of Müller in the 1730s and 1740s. And uh, Speransky's reform policies uh, evidently profited from the ethnographies of peoples that had been made available during the preceding century. So, uh, Sparansky also initiated new research, uh, uh, and there is—it's it, clear that he used their their their, 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 their work uh, as a as a basis for the for the reforms that he that he took, uh, uh, which included splitting Siberia into departments and so on, uh, and 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 wanting the people to settle the nomads to settle and all of this. So, this is of course gigantic. Uh, uh, impact on the on the on the ethnological composition of the of the country by Russian uh, administrators uh, and 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 maybe even to the good for some of them due to uh, Speransky's reforms, but uh, but 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 the, uh, before that there's no evidence that there was any concrete link between the ethnographers' reports and the colonial administration in Siberia.
1: What was the significance of that multidisciplinary Danish-German scientific Arabian expedition organized at the Wolfian University of Göttingen?
0: Well, the, uh, uh, German expedition to, uh, uh, well, the Danish-German expedition to Yemen was an important event, uh, uh, which took place in the 1760s, likewise as the academic expeditions, a bit earlier than the academic, uh, academic expeditions in, the, in, in, in Russia. Uh, uh, but it was quite different. Uh, it was it was what you could say a, a, a totally scientific expedition, without any utilitarian aims, because there was no business, there was nothing in in, in Yemen that these scholars uh, were investigating. There were no trade relations uh, 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 between Denmark. We, we, uh, uh, the Danish state was funding this expedition. And it had been organized by a man called uh, Johan David Michaelis in Göttingen, who was an Orientalist, uh, who set out a a plan to visit historic places mentioned in the Bible, uh, which was difficult, of course, (laughs) to find uh, 2,000-year-old remnants of uh, historic places in the Middle East of the 1760s. Uh, But it was an interesting and important uh, expedition in which uh, a, a couple of, uh, also disciplinary there was a, a, a natural historian, Forskall, from, from Sweden. There was a, a philologist from Germany, von uh, Hafen, collecting manuscripts and supposedly doing interviews and so on. And there was Karsten Niebuhr, who was an astronomer and geographer, set out to make the cartography of the area. And he was the sole survival. Now, Niebuhr is an a- extremely interesting author uh, whose two books have appeared uh, uh, after the expedition. He was the only survivor. And he, he also published the work of his uh, uh, compatriots. Uh, and it's very interesting. He gives a travelogue and a description of the uh, territory visited, which includes uh, uh, parts of Turkey and, and, and Egypt up until... Uh, 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 Arabia and, and Yemen, which was the penitable the end, end aim of the expedition. So uh, it is extremely rich in 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 notes on 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 on, on everything that he saw and found. Uh, but I'd say uh, it's more like proto ethnography. It is not comparable to the work mm-hmm. that müller did and Pallas and Georgi did in 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 the Russian Empire, because. That wasn't his aim. I mean, uh, Nibu was not ordered to make a comprehensive description of peoples in the Ottoman Empire. There's a big difference. And uh, uh, in addition, the Ottomans would not not have been interested in such descriptions of people making such descriptions. They didn't have a brief to do that. And this is the main difference with the work conducted by Muller and Palatsky, in the Russian Empire, and Nibu, and other cases, proto-ethnographic. Interesting, containing all kinds of notes uh, about manners and customs and institutions, uh, but not a comprehensive systematic in the way that Müller uh, set out uh, to make a, a complete description of all aspects of all peoples of the Russian Empire. So I think I use this as, an, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a counter case in my book to get this clear, what Müller was uh, about.
1: In the context of ethnography and ethnography, who was, you've already alluded to him, uh, August uh, Lud- Ludwig Schluse, and what was his legacy, even for his contentions on Slavs, a to Germany? In your response, please try to address at least three of the following. His conception of the Vulcan historical world system, his introduction of ethnograph ethnographisch, his uh, Leibniz comparative historical linguistics, his Michaelian textual historical philology, his Linnean philosophia ethnographica for non-plus-ultra-Northern Europeans,
0: as well as his ethnocritical Volker Konde. Thank you, yes. Well, was a was a German historian from Franconia who had studied at Göttingen University, among others, with Michaelis from which he learned this method of historical philology, of uh, uh, editing text, codices of text, and and, and, and Schloetzer later, later applied that in editing uh, 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 the Nestor Chronicle from the 11th to the 15th century, 10 codices, and got very famous for this work. Uh, but uh, before that, in his earlier work, he was more into the comparative linguistics of Leibniz, which he enriched by importing the model of Linnaeus and Schloetzer was important uh, for uh, uh, the history of ethnography and Volkerkunde because he was the first person to even use this word, Volkerkunde, he introduced it. Schlötze had been an assistant uh, in Müller's house as a home teacher for Müller's sons for six months, and then he separated himself uh, to set himself from Müller to set himself up as a, a researcher, and later as a professor at the Academy of Sciences, working on Russian history, which is how he found these Nestor chronicles. And then, uh, through Fischer, who was uh, 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 sent to replace Müller during the second expedition, but then independently uh, made his own way, and also uh, as a historian collected. Uh, uh, language specimens and other stuff, which he published in 1771. Uh, uh, Schleuzer was very interested in the work of Müller and Fischer and the others done during the second Kamchatka expedition, and he uh, he published this in a in a in a manuscript in a book called Allgemeine nordische Geschichte in 1771. In which he used these concepts ethnologia ethnographie, ethnograph ethnography völkerkunde, ethnograph or ethnographisch. he published this in his in his work uh, at least twenty times that this concept occur and this was the book I found in Leiden which uh, convinced me that uh, hans Fischer was on the on on the right track in pointing to göttingen but uh, missing the point with Kather. Because Schlotzer had been more important than Gatterer, because Schlözer had traveled to Russia himself, he had seen. He he'd been in Sweden. He, he later traveled to Italy to, to to France. So he was he was not an explorer, but he was a traveler, and he he was a synthesist, uh, in, incorporating all of the uh, the knowledge that he could found, he could assemble in St. Petersburg in this book, Algemeiner Nordische Geschichte, in which he connected. The European North and the Asian North in one big uh, 600-page volume. Uh, extremely interested, interesting work, uh, and and in this uh, work he 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 comes up with the idea to come to a systema populorum, which is a reference to to Linnaeus' uh, systema natura, naturae, which uh to then. Uh, 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 applies to this uh, to the to what he calls a filter system in world history. Sch- Schleiter was a world historian, and he uh, uh, saw this one of, one, of, uh, one of the first world historians in the, in, in German Enlightenment. He an universal gelehrter uh, uh, working in the field of universal geschichte. And in, in this context, the European and the Asian North were important because they lacked, and there were so many. Uh, confusions and 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 fakeness about it. So he introduced an ethnographic method. It's one of four methods of world history. Uh, the first ones are chronographic, ethnographic, and geographic, and then ethnographic would be the fourth method to be used by history in order to arrange the history of peoples, ethnographies, and this is the way he he, he went about, according to these terms. Of course, and of course the 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 idea of Systema Populorum, which was also adopted by Gutter, his colleague, Felker System, and then a, a Linneas method of the Systema Populorum in classes and ordinance genera species. So he's using the linguistic method of uh, Leibniz uh, and the uh, Linnean method of natural history to make up some kind of uh, new uh, synthesis in which ethnography had a a central role to play. And it was very important that he came to results uh, in this, uh, which were very, very, very influential because he had hundreds of students. Uh, And and, and, you know, the the brothers Grimm, Humboldt, Georg Forster, they all followed his lectures. He had successors, he also influenced Kolar, the the Slovak Socrates in Vienna, and... uh, he, 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 was, he, was, he, was, he, he is very well known, but not so much for his ethnographic importance. The fact that he was the first to introduce this term, Volkerkunde, has not been taken up uh, as far as I know by many people, because, uh, I don't know, this is sort of sort of a lack of interest uh, in Germany for this kind of history of science in, 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 in anthropology today.
1: So, moving to the next scholar, who was Adam Kolar, and how did his seventeen eighty three def- definition of eth- ethnologia uh, diverge from the Enlightenment conject- conjectural tr- tradition?
0: Well, Leiden, uh, Kolar was, uh, uh, as I said, a, a Slovak scholar from Slovakia, who was born uh, in the uh, in the uh, monarchy of, of Hungary and then as a historian landed on the top position at the Korst Library in Vienna. So he was the the, the main historian in the uh, Austrian-Hungarian territories overlooking the field. And he had the same kind of interest as Schlözer had. That's a direct relationship between these people. They knew each other's work and uh, they did the same kind of things. And then I think uh, that Kollar adopted Sleutzer's Volkerkunde and, and built it into a term called Ethnologia. Uh, this happened previously, I forgot to mention that under the previous question, with one of Sleutzer's relatives, whose name was Superlin, uh, and who probably learned uh, from Sleutzer, that, that there should be a, some, a, a, a thing called Volkerbeschreibung in Müller's case, which Schleutzer made into yeah. Volkerkunde, a more general study of peoples. And it needed a, 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 neo, a Greek uh, equivalence in order to be accepted in a, a scholarly terminology. And this was being done by a, a, a Latinist and Greek scholars, uh, or, or relatives of Schleutzer in Nördlinge, in, in, in called uh, Schöperlin and Tilo, who were the first to use this term ethnographia in 1767. Uh, and then uh, Collier made a move from uh, Schleuzer's Volkerkunde to ethnologia, first in 1781, and then he supplied the definition in 1783, which is extremely interesting, because the short definition is that he says ethnologia ethnotitia gentium populo runque, This means ethnologia is a science or study of peoples and nations. But if you see the rest of the definition, it includes the origins, languages, customs, legal institutions, and ancient settlements of nations. And in addition, this ethnologia had a practical purpose to improve evaluations of peoples and nations in its own area. Col uh, says, in order to be able better to judge the peoples and the nations in their own times. This is 1783 in Vienna. And uh, of course Vienna like the Russian Empire is uh, uh, like St. Petersburg, is the capital of, of a multi uh, linguistic and multi uh, uh, ethnic empire with a, a, a multitude of people on, under its uh, regime. And if somebody at in the in the court library in Vienna overlooking the field uh, comes to such a definition, it means something. Uh, it's ex- extremely important also that he that he combines two words for the same thing. He says "notitia gentium populorumque," a science of peoples and nations, or if you could say tribes and nations. And that's interesting because in the first case. The, the the word the Latin word gens. It's people that are homogeneous, it's a homogeneous set of people. The other case populus is a composite peoples that are heterog- heterogeneous. There are several gens in one populus and uh, uh, Colar includes both of these views in uh, from Latin in this one definition. And with this defi- distinction between gens and populus, and the rest of his definition, I think e- Ecolar consciously indicated the complexity of the subject. And this is a very, very, very good uh, uh, view uh, that, that we can build on today because the situation, of course, in, in, in ethnology and anthropology is extremely complex today. There's all kinds of people moving. There's all kinds of relations. It is not as simple. As, 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 as one would, one would expect, uh, 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 given the, the definition of Volkerkunde. As such, you know, the study of peoples, now Kolarsis, there's several sorts of peoples that Schleutzer would have agreed to. Forgot to mention that, but Schleutzer distinguished three views of people a, a geographical view a historical or genetic view and a political view that just people living in a, living in, a, in, in in a country or living as a tribe as a, as a, as a stum, what he calls it or within a state and Kulai does the same thing he makes it very complex and very influential because this is the way it went about in the world now uh this diverges from the conjectural history, as you mentioned, because uh, traditional at the time was to think in, in terms of progress, stage-like progress. And there's all kinds of uh, of of, 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 of uh, scholars being associated with the tradition. In France, you have Rousseau, Turgot, Boulanger. In Scotland, you have Ferguson, Miller, Dunbar, Faul- Falconer, and Robertson, Lord Keynes. You have Jens Kraft in Denmark, Isaac Islin and Chavan in Switzerland, and Herder and Forster-Gay of Forster in Germany. Adam Smith uh, formulated the theory of the four stages of human progress. And this tradition, the conjectural tradition, remained influential until the 19th century and stood at the basis of social evolutionism you know, with the savages and the barbarians and, and the development to, to, to civilization. This is a stage-like uh, progress de- developmental uh, model. And this is a quite different approach from that of Leibniz, Müller, Schleutz and Kollar, who compared peoples on the basis of their languages instead of their customs and institutions. And the ethno-linguistic approach inspired by Leibniz, Leibniz became a tradition in the German-speaking countries and in the USA, by the way, it was less speculative and less judgmental. The approach reflected on the ethnic diversity in the world rather than judge a people's way of life from a moralistic high ground in which civilized was favored over savage and barbaric. In contrast to the conjectural tradition, the traditional of Müller, Gasser, and collar was ethnological. And this is uh, the importance of this tradition. Further,
1: what was Johann Herder, a scholar who's gotten a lot of press late uh, recently? What was Herder's relativist perspective on Schrüz's view of ethnography, especially given Herder's arguments about the originality of folk life, the uh, unicity of individuals and in natural law, Herder's rejection of race, but then also his later appropriation by nationalists.
0: Well, Herder. Is often seen as one of Franz Bohr's ancestors. Boruch, uh, uh mentioned him in a, in his lecture on the history of anthropology, and he's also seen as a as a as a uh, forerunner of Romanticism. But I think the real header is that he that is very very conscious of the power of peoples and nations of the subject as uh, 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 of of Müller Schlotz and the others. Uh, yet he, slow, he showed little respect for Schloetzer's terms. He didn't like this word, ethnographic. Instead, he used more poetic terms, such as the painting of nations or a painting of the diversity of our species. This is, this is what it's like. Header was a, theolo- a theologian, in fact, a priest, uh, and uh, uh, working on the, on the field of, of world history and, 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 and regional history course, he began to collect folk songs in 1772, so he's a different character than Schlotzer, his opponent, you could say, his, his adversary. Now had is seen by some, Isaiah Berlin, for instance, as belonging to the Romantic countercurrent to the Enlightenment. But in fact, he was uh, in the tradition of the French and Scottish Enlightenment, in which historians and philosophers use ethnograph, ethnographic data to 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 support their theories about the development of humankind, which is, like I said, the conjectural history approach. had is also uh, regarded as having influenced the national awakening in Eastern Europe during the, Eastern, uh, the, the early 19th century, and it's true that he was appropriated by the nationalists striving for a separate state, a state specifically in, the, uh, in Eastern Europe, this, uh, the Austrian-Hungarian monarchy and so on. He is, I think, one of the most interesting historians of the 18th century. And his main works, the idea and the, 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 the De Briefe to Beförderung der Humanität, extremely important works, in which he presented a, relative, a relativist vision of world history, in which the humaneness, Humanität, was a central concept he devised a teleological view of people's unfolding towards humanness. People uh, are bound to become uh, more humane. And that that is an important vision uh, of of, of world history. Now, uh, on the other hand, uh, he's he's seen more of an uh, anthropologist than an ethnologist. By uh, uh, historians uh, of science such as John Samito, who claims that Herder founded anthropology and he was the most complete anthropologist of the 18th century. Uh, together with Kant, his, his, his teacher in Königsberg, they were working on the same subject. Uh, anthropology was born out of philosoph- philosophy. So, they, what Samito is talking about is, is philosophical anthropology. And that is an important subject. But it's not ethnology; it's the stu- stu- study of uh, ethnic diversity. It's a different subject. So I'm very interested in Hader, but in my in my book I give him a, a more of a more of a side uh, 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 spot, uh, probably less than he would deserve.
1: Can you elucidate Johann uh, Gatterer's linkages between geography and ethnography and the development of of Volkskunde folklore? And what about the German coupling of ethnography with geography, the first journals and encyclopedias that featured Volkaconda, edited mostly by young Germans, and the editor uh, Theophil Erman's distinctions between ethnology, eth- ethnography, and Volkaconda?
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned this historian Gattere, he was Lutz's senior colleague. Was the second to use the words Kunde and Ethnographia in his work. Uh, Guthr was also a historian, but he 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 saw geography as as important for history. In fact, he called geography and chronology as history's two eyes. Now, in one of his uh, uh, handbooks on, on on geography published in 1775, he he gave the study of humans and peoples a joint place in his classification of ge- geographical sciences. He calls it Menschen und Volkerkunde, and then uh, uh, be- between brackets, Anthropographia and Ethnographia. Anthropography and Ethnography. He, he linked, and he gave him a fourth place in, the, in his classification of geographical sciences. He also gave a table of contents what the study should entail, and he was aware that some of the peoples studied by this uh, 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 discipline do not have a written history. He wrote that in 1773. For this reason, they could not be included in the study of history proper, but only in an auxiliary discipline, namely geography. So he, so we have an interesting uh, view in the case of Müller, et- ethnography. Is separated from history and geography. There's three subjects that he's doing. In the case of Schluter, he's 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 saying ethnography is a part of history. There should be ethnography uh, ethnographic method is part of history. And Gutter says, well, we better relegate it to a place, uh, give it a place in geography. Now, this, of course, has been uh, become a, st- uh, 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 a strong combination of Länder and völkerkunde, of uh, geography and ethnography, and there's a whole tradition of literature up until the 20th century. Uh, even also in Holland, you have categories like land and Volkerkunde in uh, in antiquarian bookshops, where you find uh, books on tribals and 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 countries and 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 and, and, and uh, a- a- ethnographic works in this category. And that, that, that is a pattern that started with Guthrie, and it was taken up by people such as Fabry, Norman, Sprengel, in, in Halle and in Jena. And Ehrmann uh, is, is, is also one of the people working in this field. Uh, it's the beginning of a rich tradition. Ethnography as a new field linked with geography. Very popular. And in Germany, this led to, uh, to immense results in the early 19th century. For instance, there was an ethnographic archive uh, published in Jena in 39 volumes. And then Berghaus, uh, uh, the, the, the geographer, took it up. It developed into something big. Ethnography became big in the early 19th century, especially in co- connection with uh, uh, with uh, geography. So it's the beginning of a tradition. And, and that's how, of course, other uh, people such as such as uh, 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 Bastian in, in Berlin and, and Tyler in, in, in Oxford, took it up, could find it, it became a subject. Can you uh,
1: briefly elaborate conceptually on on anthropologia as a science of humans rather than a study of peoples through the 18th century? In your uh, brief elaboration, uh please try to address the five types of anthropology in the German Enlightenment, uh, Linnaean racial classifications, the racial hierarchies advanced by Buffon and Brubenbach, as well as, of course, Immanuel Kant's 1775 to 1788 article trilogy on race that distinguished between varieties of peoples and four germ races. Uh, please also, if you can, please do the address uh, Christoph uh, Miners attempt to substantiate racial classifications with ethnology, Erman's map, and Georg Forster's debates with Kant.
0: Ha! Well, that's an enormous subject that you that you mentioned. Yeah, uh, that you open. Well, I I I I, I opted to put a, bit, a long chapter on anthropology in the German Enlightenment in my book which deals with the emergence of uh, and the genesis of ethnography and ethnology. It's, it's explained with Müller, or Kollar. But uh, in order to introduce this to an American audience, uh, which is used to the four field approach and associates anthropology either with physical anthropology or as a general term for the subject, I needed to pay attention to ad- anthropology also in 18th century Germany, because ethnology and ethnography were a new field. But anthropology was a well-established field, more or less. Uh, 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 there's been research that uh, there's at least five kinds of uh, uh, anthropology in 18th century Germany, namely medic- medical, theological, philosophical, uh, pedagogical, and physical anthropology. All all uh, uh, present in the 18th century, and there's there's uh, there's uh, there's, uh, there's somebody who made made a count that he 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 found at least 80 titles uh, uh, of books with anthropology in the title published in this period, in the 18th century. And that's a lot more than than than, 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 than uh, Vulcacundo, ethnography. So it was a big, big field, but it was also very much imprecise. Nobody really knew about that, yeah? And then one branch of this whole variety of anthropologies in the 18th century became dominant uh, uh, and this is the field of physical anthropology. Of course, philosophical anthropology became important too. Medical anthropology is extremely important today. But in the 18th century, physical anthropology came to steal the field, more or less. And it began with Linnaeus' classification of human varieties, later called races. Linnaeus uh, 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 classified humanity in, in, in four uh, varieties. Uh, more or less correspondence corresponding to the four continents. So uh, Africa, Asia, Europe, and America. And that's interesting, that it's only that, and it's based on skin color, and, and, and more or less, uh, that's, that's the main characteristic. But it was taken over by Buffon, the French naturalist, who uh, 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 also distinguished these four uh, categories, Varieties that he called race, la race, race humaine, uh, and then later by Blumenbach, who uh, added an, a, a fifth variety. Now this is a very long story, and I don't think we have enough time to go into all of that. But uh, the, the the broad outline is this: uh, Buffon was very influential, uh, and his uh, uh, Natural History it was enormously popular in entire Europe. In in, in in many volumes and in many editions, and there's a historian of science Michel Duchet. she says that Buffon founded anthropology as a general science of man with his histoire naturelle seventy forty nine, by making the transition from the human individual to the human species, this is how he inaugurated the statue of the natural history of man, l'histoire naturelle de l'homme and 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 this subject was taken up in Germany uh, uh, due to the traditions both by Kant and by Blumenbach, and then you have all kinds of comments by miners and forster on this uh, and, and 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 two things important: Kant was dissatisfied with the way Buffon had loosely used terminology. He borrowed the word ra- Rassen from, from Buffon. It was unknown in Germany at the time, Rassen. He spelled it in the French way, not with uh, uh, two S's, but with a C, Rassen, statt Rassen with "ss". Uh, uh, so it was foreign. And he criticized him for, for not being systematic. And that's true, because uh, Buffon uh, uh, was uh, inconsistent in his terminology, speaking about the Tartar Nation but also the Tartar race or of the black race, but also of the need to divide blacks into different races. So the blacks are race, but they also you have several races uh, in the black race. And this is a, a problem with Buffon that the Germans were very much aware of. Does he t- talk about a species or a genus or, or uh, and so on? And this is what Kant was say, uh, going about. And it's regarded as the founder of the modern concept of race, by Bellasconi and many other many other people. And this landed Kant in a, in a huge conflict uh, debate with miners, who was a racist, and with Forster, forced to who was not a racist, uh, because he'd been a well-traveled man who went with his father uh, on the second uh, trip around the world with James Cook. Uh, he, 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 he'd, he'd seen many nations and he was extremely interested in the combination of natural and cultural history. And specialized and late in the natural history of mankind and so on. Uh, and this is an important uh, 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 and big subject. Uh, but at the end of the day, Blumenbach came out as the founder of physical anthropology because he included the fifth variety, namely the Malayan, uh, based on the work of uh, Johann Reinhold, first, the father who had also uh, been with Cook and who had noted... Two races in the Pacific, the Polynesian and the Melanesian, as we would say now, and this led Bloom, that oh, we need a fifth variety in, 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 in the classification of Linnaeus and Buffon. And secondly, because he adopted the term anthropology as a synonym for Buff- Buffon's natural history of man. Of man. And in the, the third edition of his book, he, he equated anthropologia with the natural history of man of of, of Buffon. And this is how the term and the limited definition of anthropology entered British scholarship through the translation of the third edition in 1865. And then in 1865, we landed in an entirely different uh, field in Europe, uh, particularly in France and Britain, where racial studies have become a big issue much bigger than ethnography, and uh, come to dominate the field to the extent that these topics are supposed to be more important than the nations or, 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 and and peoples ethnography is focusing on. So as a result of that, particularly of the uh, of uh, William Edwards in 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 Paris 1829 and 1839, and then his successor Paul Broca in France. Whose ideas were extremely uh, influential and taken up by many uh, naturalists around Europe, uh, particularly also in, 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 in Britain. The idea is that anthropology is the more fundamental, the more general subject, and ethnology is a subordinated subject. And and this is how it, it's going to be in in England. You have a a, a long battle between the ethnologicals of the uh, Ethnological Society of London and the Anthropological Society of London. And then finally, in eighteen seventy one, it's decided let's let's call it an anthropological society and ethnology is part of that. And this also happens in America. It's 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 the heydays of racial studies, and it's seen as more important. And ethnology, the study of peoples based on languages mostly, and culture, uh, uh, is subordinated to this, this, this racial discourse. And this is uh, an important uh, reason for, for, for publishing my book, because I, I think uh, that the, that the German, his, uh, German case proves that these studies uh, in the 18th century were separated, were not subordinated to, uh, to, uh, to either one. Uh, anthropology is, 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 is a specialization in the field of medicine, theology, or, or natural history. Uh, 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 and ethnology is, is is a subject being being uh, developed by historians, geographers, and linguists. Although, in the case of Pallas, also by naturalists. Uh, you, of course, there's also naturalists who do ethnography, although they usually tend to specialize on, on plants and animals. So
1: you've touched a number of topics um, uh, in the last couple of questions. Let's actually move to uh, Adolf Bastian. Is that is that all right? Uh, why do you consider Adolf Bastian as the neo-Kantian founder of modern ethnology in the eighteen sixties and seventies? Likewise, how and why did German Enlightenment ideas prompt German emigre Franz Boas's coalescence of comparative linguistics, historical particularism? and a neo-Kantian Herderian forefield approach into the study of all cultures, particularly within the context of the founding of U.S. modern anthropology beginning in the 1890s, while also maintaining cultural relativism.
0: Yeah, well... Uh... Here's where we can indeed pick up the story again because uh, the other uh, chapter with the mingling of racial and, 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 and ethnic categories, language, the, the, the problem of language versus race, uh, it's is, is very complicated, but, it, but the picture gets a bit clear when we enter uh, the case of, of Boas and Bastian in Berlin in the 1870s, 18, 18, 18, uh, uh, 60s, 1870s. And uh, to answer your, f- your first question, uh, 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 your second question first, I mean, Boas did not invent the four-field approach. He found it when he arrived in New York in 1886. The four-field approach was established by the Anthropological Society of Washington in 1879 and also by, uh, formulated by Pitt Rivers, in Oxford, the founder of the Pitt Rivers Museum in 1882. So this was already there when, when Boas arrived. And Boas, of course, he had studied physics and, and geography, and he came to anthropology, ethnography, through his field work in Canada, Bavenland and the British Columbia, as well as a stint at the Berlin Museum uh, of Ethnology directed by Bastian. So uh, the four fields were not uh, Boas' making, although he reinforced them when he uh, uh, accepted the uh, professorship uh, in, 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 in New York. And he started to encourage the students to do research in these four fields. In fact, Boas himself did research in these four fields. Now, your first question about Bastian, uh, you know, being the founder of ethnology, is usually called that the, the the founder of ethnology in Germany, but if we accept that ethnography and ethnology had started in the 18th century, then surely Bastian cannot have been the founder. I, I, I see Müller as one of the founders of systematic ethnography, and Bastian, who comes a century later, he must be something else. So, uh, in, in in my book. I, I call them uh, Bastian and was the founders of 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 of, of, uh, of modern anthropology, but this term is reserved by uh, Malinowski and Bradley Brown, the the, uh, the uh, founders of social anthropology in Britain in the in 1920s. so we, we we need a different term than I suggested. We we could call them the uh, Bastian as the founders of classical anthropology, classical anthropology in America, in Germany, and uh, with Mar- 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 Marcel Mauss and a- Emile Durkheim in France, that would be a-, a better solution. You have early anthropology, which is with Müller, Schleutzer, Kollar, then classical anthropology with Bastian Boas and Tyler and so on, and then uh, modern anthropology with Malinowski and So Brown. Uh, Uh, for the rest, of course, I agree that cultural relativism was a very important uh, uh, tool for Boas to combat racism. And uh, uh, his upbringing in Germany and the search of racism and anti-Semitism in Germany may well have played a role in formulating his view, his his idealist view of anthropology. Uh, uh, But uh, like I said, uh, when he first conducted fieldwork, uh, among the Inuit of Baffinland, he turned into an ethnographer just as Muller had done during the second Kamchatka expedition. He, he was trained as, 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 as a, as a phys- physicist and a geographer, but he became an ethnographer in the field, adding linguistics along the way. And some German commentators claimed that Berlin at the time was a center of liberal ethnology and that Boas took the liberal Berlin school that is the anti, anti-racist school to the U.S. where it survived.
1: What are differences between anthropology and ethno- ethnology and study in practice after the 1989 fall of the Berlin Wall, coming full circle back to the beginning?
0: I see. Ah, well, well yes. Well, that's covering a lot of centuries, but... Um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to 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 to, to give a few comments on this. Uh, of course, uh, the fall of the wall uh, led to a, a dramatic uh, reshuffling of history in, in Europe and the rest of the world, Asia, uh, Americas, and so on, due to the uh, the Cold War between these superpowers and so on. Uh, uh, but uh, if we apply this to uh, anthropology, I think the the, the, the the landscape has diversified enormously uh, because uh, you know uh, with the opening of the Iron Curtain, scholars from Eastern Europe, Europe presented themselves in Western Europe. and I can still remember at a conference of social anthropologists in Coimbra, Portugal in 1990 is that many ethnographers from Eastern Europe joined and, and entered into contact with Western colleagues that they couldn't have been able to do for years. And this showed that these ethnographers had been studying their own cultural traditions and, and those of national minorities for, for decades and were very very, very willing to adopt new approaches and terminology. And then variants of the pattern established uh, after World War II occurred, because in Holland, for instance, after World War II, the field Ethnology was renamed in Cultural Anthropology in 1953. And in France, Claude Lévi-Strauss named his chair at the Sorbonne Social Anthropology, whereas his predecessor, Marcel Mauss, had been Professor of Ethnology. So you have renamings taking place in Europe and then uh, the field of Volkskunde in Germany, it's being called uh, 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 nat- nat- National Ethnology in, in 1955. So you have a couple of renamings of the field following World War II. Now, uh, after the, the, the end of the Cold War, the same thing happens. Uh, the unification of Germany and the opening of Eastern Europe uh, led to a proliferation of new approaches. Uh, and, and this led, for instance, that uh, ethnology which in countries such as Croatia and, and Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia had under Soviet pressure been redefined as ethnography were again called ethnology or adapted to Western European usage of social or cultural anthropology in, 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 in Europe generally now being a combined stick we do social cultural anthropology, <laughs> We don't need to distinguish between. British social anthropology or American cultural anthropology. We, we just do it all. And this is what's happened in these past 30 years. Uh, uh, these name changes, of course, don't make it any easier for a historian of science to find out which subject one is talking about, what anthropology one is talking about. But if one uses if one if one focuses on the labels and the practices, the disciplinary practices and the object of study one sees a one sees a pattern. And this is that anthropology is the overarching concept, but it tends to homogenize rather than represent plurality. Uh, as in the case with Collar, this whole idea of nation or peoples, peoples or nations, gens and populorum is, 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 is it's diverse. There is diversity, enormous diversity, and this is what one would expect anthropology to also respect and 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 and, and pay into account. This enormous diversity in these these people. Some have states, some uh, some some are suffering, some are very powerful, some are, are suppressing others in 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 a powerful state. So uh, anthropology, in, in order to be specific, needs an adjective adjective uh, either social, cultural historical philosophical anthropology or physical anthropology, feminist anthropology we need uh, 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 anthropology needs an, uh, an adjective and that is why I say this whole tradition uh, uh, of ethnology and ethnography is extremely important and you see this happening in Europe now in a recent book that I was reviewing called European Anthropologists. These ethnographic, ethnological traditions are being specified separately. You have social cultural anthropology, but still you have lots of ethnology going on. And, and, and this, is, this is interesting because I would say the dominant trend in all of these approaches is ethnography, which is not a discipline or not a method uh, such as participant observation, nor is it a book in the sense of an ethnographic monograph, but it is a research program and the central focus of what ethnology and sociocultural anthropology is about or should be about. And that is why it's so important to credit Gerhard Friedrich Müller and Schlötzer and Kollar uh, uh, for, for, this, uh, for setting up this program for describing and compare, comparing peoples or nations, you know, like 280 years ago. So I know your
1: book is being translated uh, currently in, uh, in several or a couple uh, different languages. Uh, what, what's next for you? What are you working on any uh, new projects?:
0: Yes. Uh, at the moment, I'm working on a, on a German edition and on a Russian edition of the book, because you know, the ethnography started as a German discourse in the Russian Empire. And I, I'd like the book to become available there so that scholars and students can, can study that and improve on that because, you know, I'm not a, a, a specialist in Russian history, history and I think they can expand on it and, and use it. And, and the same goes for, for German anthropologists. I think they can use it too. Uh, a majority of, of course, no, uh, read English, but it would be better to have a German version. and and confront them with some basic facts
1: excellent the book is Before Boas The Genesis of Ethnography and Ethnology in the German Enlightenment the paperback was published last year by University of Nebraska Press thank you Dr. Vermeulen for being on the show today on on behalf of Dr. Vermeulen this has been a a New Books in History production a channel on the New Books Network I hope you tune in next time